Well, it certainly has been a big transition year in healthcare information technology with the pandemic driving the sharp acceleration toward virtual health. However, there are other major development projects to build out other new capabilities, and there are big companies and major customers involved. Here to talk about both trends is Brad Armstrong, Vice President of Healthcare Consulting for Cognizant. Cognizant is a Fortune 500 company and has rapidly grown to be one of the world leaders in digital transformation, and also has a lot of major healthcare clients and interesting projects in the works. This is Paul Butler, your host, and welcome to the Healthcare Information and Management System Society, Southern California podcast, where we explore emerging trends in healthcare information technology and the resulting impact on healthcare business. Hims is a global advisor and thought leader in healthcare, includes over 80,000 individual members and over 1,000 provider and healthcare services organizations. So back to our guest today. Brad Armstrong was a former partner and national leader of Deloitte uh, Consulting's healthcare practice. He co-found a boutique healthcare consulting practice called Top Tier Consulting, which he successfully grew to be one of the top 25 healthcare consulting firms as listed by uh, Modern Healthcare. The firm was uh, acquired by Cognizant in, uh, was it 2017, Brad? Yes, it was. And he is now one of the Cognizant executives leading the charge on the digital transformation of healthcare. Brad has a BS in math and, and computer science from UCLA and an MBA in finance from USC, for which we will forgive him. <laughs> a little internal conflict there. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Brad. It's great to have you on. Thank you. So we have obviously been through quite a year due to the pandemic that has rocked the world and rocked the world of healthcare. Do you think these changes will last? What are the changes and will they last? Uh, yeah, Paul, I, I, I think uh, we're not going back. COVID is driving fundamental change in the healthcare world. Um, all of our clients and, um, and are, are really making major plans to change fundamentally how they develop healthcare. Now, when we get a vaccine and some other things, we're not sure exactly what the new normal looks like, but we know it's not going to be anything like uh, the old healthcare model. You know, and I think we've uh, often in the history have seen sort of some of these cataclysmic upheavals. You know, when you look at uh, way back in World War II, there was dramatic change in the world. You know, not only did it end the Great Depression, but after post-World War, you saw a dramatic increase in kind of our industrial and technology growth. You, you saw kind of an emergence of a kind of a middle class that didn't exist before. Women kind of proved that they could be in the workforce and you saw you know a huge increase in the influx in the workforce so there was a dramatic uh, upheaval that occurred that that um that wasn't reversed and we think the same thing is going to be happening with covid and i think it's drastically changing the way we think about personal as well as public health care although many times in many ways it's just building on trends that are already there but it's really a, a kind of a paradigm shift in getting those technologies and those approaches to care implemented. And and I think what we're seeing, what our clients are seeing is that virtual care is not only a way of delivering care, it's better care. And we're not saying we're replacing face-to-face, -face, that's always going to be there, but we're adding another delivery channel uh, and it comes with lower costs and better outcomes. And as we'll see what the model looks like, uh, it can really enhance the total care experience. Uh, and, and I would have to say that... Um, 
every one of our clients right now is is looking at their strategy and and how they're going to kind of change the way the healthcare model looks and what their particular model is uh, going into the future. So I, I'd say all of our clients are really looking at this very seriously and figuring out what they can do uh, and, and what the new normal is looking going to look like in the future. So everybody uh, that had to enter this pandemic had to create an emergency virtual care model. And so that was done. But what you're saying is beyond that, it's, it's here to stay and that it's going to build out into somewhat of a new healthcare model. So what is what would that look like? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. Obviously, uh, we're looking at virtual care. You know, so everybody's doing uh, their form of, of virtual care. Um, you know, the starting with digital triage. So we've seen a lot of applications rolled out. You know, whether they're sponsored by health systems or health plans in terms of triaging systems for COVID, but those extend to many other disease states. Um, interestingly enough, you know, the number one health app in the world right now is Arogya Setu, which is the Indian government mandated uh, disease tracking uh, app for COVID. You know, it's a system tracker, you know, so you, you key in your symptoms, but it also is a contract tracer. It is also a communications mechanism. And uh, I think over 50 million uh, downloads of that app have already happened and it's it's mandated for going back to work. So that's that's just one form of a, a digital triage app that's gotten a lot of uh, uh, press and uh, application lately because of COVID. And, uh, you know, triage allows you to sort of uh, quickly route people to the right uh, form of care, whether it be self-care or ER, uh, and, and it can even get you in touch with a physician right away. So, so that's kind of the, the entry point for virtual. Then obviously you would move into virtual visits. Uh, this is actually having a visit with a care provider. Uh, I think it's been statistically shown that virtual visits are at least 50% less cost than an actual physical, physical visit, not including kind of the waiting time on both ends. Um, and this provides sort of greater access for rural areas and shut-ins, obviously with COVID and other conditions. Um, and, and it's not just about your primary care uh, visits, uh, specialty care um, can can be scheduled. And, and actually a big, big one now is behavioral health uh, visits to behavioral health uh, uh, televisits or be, be to um, psychiatrists and psychologists, as well as counselors. Uh, Teladoc reports an 80% increase in mental health visits. And, you know, that's particularly important now with, you know, some of the stress that people are feeling related to COVID. But, but you know, even areas like physical therapy can be done digitally. You know, Ficera specializes in providing remote digital therapy services and helping patients kind of uh, diagnose and treat some of their conditions with a, a remote coach. So even areas that you would think by definition would be require physical visits um, can be done virtually. Um, and so, um, but obviously, the, you know, along with that, you know, we need to um, work with um, our clients and patients to sort of expand the capabilities they need to uh, develop it like bandwidth and such. So it can be done virtually, but you had made a comment about it being better. And I think, you know, public perception is virtual care is better than no care. So in what ways are, is it, is it better in your mind. So getting access to people when they need it to take care, you know, we already talked about rural areas and shut-ins getting access to care, but but it's also this aspect of continuous care, uh, being able to get, you know, why do I have to wait once every year or once every two years? 
to get uh, access to a physician when I can uh, kind of access them continuously and maybe even prevent conditions from kind of getting exacerbated rather than waiting uh, and then, you know, trying to treat them after they've already been um, already materialized or gotten worse. So, so we, th- we see that, that that provides another aspect of, of improving care and then uh, we also see that um, you know people would prefer to be in their homes, particularly when they're recovering uh, from uh, you know acute conditions or you know hospital stays or whatever. And so, so it's not it's not just about the quality of care, but it's the perception of the patients. And so, from from a lot of different aspects, um, you know, we f- think that virtual care is better care. So, so so the virtual visits are. Faster, cheaper, presumably. I mean, have the insurance models been worked out for virtual visits? I mean, how, how is this model emergent? Yeah, it's uh, you know that that's a good question. There's been some progress in that. For instance, CMS, who administers the, the Medicare program, they now are paying for remote patient monitoring and uh, care coordination remotely. Uh, not all are doing that, but I think we're seeing a move towards that. We're also seeing a move towards paying for. Uh, inpatient visits, some states like California require that you pay the same amount for a virtual visit as you do for an inpatient visit. So we see movements like that. It's not universal at the moment, but we see the, the impetus de- definitely um, going that direction. So uh, I think when some of those hurdles are are, are uh, cleared, you'll see you'll, you'll see more of that. All right. So what does this mean in terms of other conditions, people with chronic conditions, and, and the opportunity to really expand this model into something more uh, cohesive for so much more healthcare delivery. Yeah, I, you know, obviously, you, you've sort of identified. I mean, a lot of aspects of this. Um, you know, it's it's uh, you know one of the main targets I think is certainly chronic care conditions. People with chronic conditions who need to um, to uh, have continuous monitoring. Um, so. Uh, we're, we've been working with clients on developing uh, digital therapeutics for COBD and CHF, other disease states. Uh, so that's one whole area. But another area is uh, we talked about a population health, uh, monitoring people and just in, in ordinary circumstances, whether it be um, <clears throat> with um, eating habits or exercise, you know, that can be monitored. You know, we've got... Um, you know your watch. Uh, you know my Samsung watch now can can uh, monitor my monitor my exercise, my sleeping patterns, my heart rate, and they even have a the latest one has a pulse ox um, monitor. So so population health and just ordinary health maintenance can be done virtually. Uh, but then even for seniors who are um, looking for more independence, there's a lot of tools that can be used. Virtual tools that can be used to help. Uh, seniors stay in their home and avoid kind of costly tertiary care or uh, you know SNF facilities uh, early on by just giving them the tools to kind of monitor the health, allow others to monitor, and then allow them to get access when they need it. So, so it's a lot of different dimensions really that um, that virtual care can can touch. So a lot of so, so virtual care had a, a was was always you know, evolving and coming out slowly. Then COVID accelerated it for the point solution of taking care of the uh, uh, COVID 
patients. But then, is it, it, are there are there really uh, clients of yours that are approaching this strategically, holistically, and say we really want to build out a continuum of care? We want to take care for uh, post acute recoveries or chronic conditions, geriatric people, or is it more more? Um, are you in your experience? Is it more point solutions? Let's take care of this problem, then let's move on to this problem. In, in individual projects, which sort of build it out over time. Yeah, I think I think in the past it's really been uh, you know people have looked for point solutions. Um, so hey, I want to solve. I have this chronic issue, chronic care issue. I'm going to solve that. You know, whether it be device monitoring or care coordination or you know some type of intervention. So I think traditionally it's been kind of a series of point interventions. But I now I think, you know, what I'm really seeing with the clients is developing holistic strategies for not only incorporating those solutions, um, but also looking at the overall model of how we how we deliver care and then and using the crossover between different solutions. So a lot of modalities that people use to to treat different chronic conditions can be used to uh, supplement other or monitor other conditions. So, so having a holistic strategy, and then and then, what I hear my clients talking a lot about now is is really a fundamental change in the care model. And that isn't you know before it was again like you said is it was more individual conditions that we were trying to adjust. But now I hear them talking more about fundamental model changes and developing a strategy. I will say it's we're still early stages. Uh, I think there's, um, you know, clients aren't sure how COVID's all going to play out. So I think they're hedging their bets a little bit. But I, I think most of them uh, have, and you know, we've been involved in some of these, uh, have are developing comprehensive strategies um, and are, um, are really seeking to uh, look at this more holistically than they have in the past. And in, in your experience is the, you know, the two big R's regulatory and reimbursement. Are they, are they constraining this view or are they assisting it? How much do, do those two items govern the development of any holistic strategy? Yeah, those are huge. Those are big elements of it. Uh, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of um, regulatory changes that, you know, kind of almost emergency relaxing of regulatory requirements when it comes to cross-state licensure of physicians and things to allow them to practice virtually. Uh, so we've seen a lot of um, a lot of movement there of things that were traditionally uh, sort of impediments um, to providing care virtually. On the reimbursement front, um, you know, uh, we've obviously, as already said, we've seen some movement in CMS around remote patient monitoring. There's obviously been a relaxing of copays and others related to COVID, but uh, again, we see that uh, more and more people are seeing the the value of this. The payment mechanism are changing. It's not just about what gets reimbursed, but it's how it gets reimbursed. When you talk about um, you know fee for service reimbursement models, those have a tendency to discourage uh, kind of innovative care like this, or or kind of these small touch points. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a good example is you know I I can go to see my doctor in his office. It costs me three hundred dollars, but I could have the same conversation with him on email for free. Uh, and and we've done that. And so why is that? So there's a there's a wide disparity there, and and really uh, we don't have a good way of compensating for this kind of these kind of small virtual touch points that we want to establish. So what we need is sort of a value based sort of subscription model uh, of of payments that kind of reward uh, 
the whole provider continuum and patients themselves, quite frankly, mm-hmm. for, for participating in this kind of this collaborative virtual care model that ultimately drives to uh, better outcomes and lower costs. So, so there, there's, uh, per your question, there's, there's changes happening, but we still need a lot more change, both on the regulatory and the, and the uh, reimbursement side. So, um, your thought, if I understand what you're saying correctly, is that this whole, in less than a year, with this, this COVID pandemic, we may have just accelerated the move to value-based care. Uh, there may be a silver lining to this, this whole pandemic because it's forced us to re- add in virtual care and then rethink the business model in light of all the things that can be done virtually and how it helps the continuity of care and, um, and, and other aspects of managing other things like chronic disease. So um, are, are you saying this is actually uh, accelerating something that would have taken much, much longer if there had been no COVID crisis. Yes. Yeah, I'd say that. And again, things don't, even with this, uh, with COVID, things aren't changing overnight. But I I think there's a dramatic, the the wheels, in my opinion, the wheels have have started turning on a fundamental change that will be difficult to stop. The genie's out of the bottle. I think people have proven that virtual care can work, it can be better care, and it can be preferred care by patients. Uh, and then we're going to have to now, that's, I think, going to drive kind of the regulatory wheels and the compensation wheels that turn much more slowly to really turn in a way that allows this to be more facilitated. So, yes, I, I, I think we're going to see some pretty dramatic uh, changes in the in the next mm-hmm. year and the years ahead. And are they going to be guided changes? For example, I have um, people who are outside of the healthcare industry that have all kinds of tech ideas on how to move the ball down the field, if you will, in improving efficiency, cost efficiency, and turnaround times on on different types of care. But if you talk to people in the industry or people that are actually delivering services, some of them say, well, it's all going to probably get consolidated around an approved, you know, value-based care model where you, because you have all this regulatory and reimbursement strategy that needs to come in alignment with all this stuff. So you can't just go off, you know, like you can in, in, in tech inventing new things, throwing it out in the marketplace and seeing how it will do. It will end up being much more uh, of, a, of a controlled evolution. Uh, which side of the fence are you on on that? Well, I think, um, you know, for instance, CMS on Medicare, I think they've always sort of been a leader and innovator in some of the new payment models and even some of the payment practices. So I, I think to some degree they'll be there. But I, I, I think we see innovation on the commercial side as well uh, of, uh, of particularly some of the major players experimenting with new models and partnerships. And, uh, and, and we see a kind of a blurring of the lines between payers and providers and how they work together. And so I think there'll be changes coming from both sectors. Obviously, um, um, you know, CMS will continue to be a leader, I think, and kind of enforcing change, at least in their segment that gets adopted. But, but I think we'll see, um, other innovation, uh, and, and, um, you know, obviously, technology will be there driving the, the capacity for change and the opportunity for change. But obviously, it's the care models and the reimbursement models that have to evolve uh, as well alongside those to, to make those work. So um, it, you're saying that we're in the thick of this now with the care model evolving and that there are uh, what I hear you also saying is that at a strategy level, 
uh, clients, at least major clients of yours, are having the conversations, at least if not already in the planning stage uh, stages of um, uh, developing some kind of rollout strategy. Yes. Is that fair? Is yeah, that fair oh, to definitely. Say? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And so when we look in you know major entities especially ones that are um, you know cross industry if you will have gotten involved in healthcare may have the most dollars to put into some of these initiatives but uh, where are you on looking at what some of the other things that I know cognizant has explored in the past about uh, tying in wearable devices and other technologies ha- have these things been uh, piloted by some of your clients and do you see experimentation going on in- within some of your clientele yeah absolutely and uh you know one good example of that is um you know samsung watch you know as i talked about earlier we we've worked with one of our clients for using that for uh, uh kind of cardiac care recovery from hospital stays and they 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 found that they were they were able to reduce their uh hospital readmission rate from typically uh for those cases 10 to 15 percent down to two percent uh and this is a real live uh pilot that we help them implement uh using kind of the capabilities of of that watch and that's just kind of one example where clients are really experimenting with this and and getting some results and and i think you see that uh, across the board and mm-hmm. we've actually got a whole uh iot practice that is working on kind of a uh uh, IOTM hub in the cloud, so to speak, for medical devices and making it easier for mm-hmm. uh, our clients to sort of uh, acquire and issue these medical devices and get them integrated into the EHRs or wherever uh, they are get, gathering that data. So so we, we are working with clients and, and we have uh, several kind of um, uh, proof of concepts out there. I, I will say that, again, it's it's still point solutions per se. You know, it's not like one client is doing everything in the, the IoT space, but uh, there are some significant pilots going on a, across mm-hmm. the board. So one of the major uh, investments that healthcare providers have made in the last 10 years has been in their electronic medical records, huge investments, uh, particularly those invested with Epic and and Cerner and so forth. And, and, but all across the board, there's been a huge investment on gathering data on patients. And do these now become sort of the SAPs of the healthcare world where they're the data platforms, but everything else that's new is built out on top of it? Or do you see these, these platforms kind of trying to reach out and, and, and add on to their offerings. I mean, you see, you can make the argument that I think, you know, if people outside of healthcare and other industries saw SAP as the, the, the transaction platform, and then all these other services were added onto it and connected to that. Do you, are we going to see the same kind of thing with the EMRs where the new build out of the new services is actually going to be connected to, to different, um, databases or population health platforms and the emrs will still be there but they'll be in the background pretty much in the same role as they are today what's your thought on that yeah i I think i think ehrs are going to be a core uh part of the solution uh going forward no doubt but you know can they 
keep up or even compete with all the innovation we see across the board or even should they? You know, that's the key question. Uh, you know, I think I think the innovations are happening so quickly, it's difficult for them to compete to kind of keep up with those. And, and again, I think what we're trying, what virtual health allows is innovation across a broad spectrum and, and other players are coming into the, to the, the play, you know, whether it be Microsoft or Salesforce, uh, these are major players with major resources who are starting to make a difference in a play in there. Even Google is getting into the phrase. So, so yeah, while I think the HRs will be there, they'll have a core function and they have a high penetration. They'll be part of the solution. Uh, I don't think that they'll be the only part. I think what you'll see is an extended ecosystem with a lot of other major players coming into this. And what we have to do is uh, foster more interoperability, such as what CMS is kind of sponsoring in their whole interoperability uh, requirement is to allow data to be exchanged more readily, to allow the pieces to plug and play more readily. And, and again, in the past, we see quite frankly, without bringing up names, there's been a sort of reticence on some of the major players in the HR business to accept that. But now I think we're seeing this really opening up and I think people sort of have to play and we are kind of removing some of the blockers that we had in the past. So it's an exciting time, actually, in healthcare because we're finally going to get to some new business models and perhaps some breakthroughs in in efficiencies and continuity of care, and that would be that would be awesome. It would be just great for uh, business and great for the patients. All right. So um, you definitely agree that that is something that would be coming in the next ten years. We're going to see a, a, a real change in how care is delivered and the efficacy of the care through all these different channels yes yeah no uh, definitely and, and again it's um something that we've i think a lot of us have been surprised it hasn't happened faster uh and i think to some degree it needed sort of an impetus like covid to kind of push us over and so um i really do see that we've we've got the momentum now and and, and again it's still a lot of work to make this happen and some of these impediments again just don't disappear overnight but i i, I do see real movement in that direction now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brad. And before we uh, wrap up, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, well, they can connect with me uh, at Cognizant. You know, my email is brad.armstrong at uh, cognizant.com. I'm at LinkedIn as well, so you can connect to me on, on LinkedIn. We are, as we talked about, helping a lot of our clients and adapting to the new model. We've got a lot of uh, uh, solutions around COVID, whether it be getting people back to work, uh, safe buildings, care at home, which is a virtual care, which we talked about. Uh, and we've done, we're doing a lot also in digital therapeutics analytics. Uh, we have interoperability. Uh, we're, we're helping many of our clients uh, uh, roll out interoperability solutions to address CMS. But beyond really the compliance, uh, there's a lot of uh, applications that we just talked about. So anyway, just brief commercial. If people are interested, we're, we're happy to talk. No, absolutely. Um, your firm does a lot of things. And it's um, it's good to hear that a lot of that's going to be uh, put to work because the digital revolution looks like it's finally getting a good foothold yes. in healthcare. So uh, thank you, Brad, for joining us. Brad Armstrong, Vice President, Cognizant Healthcare Consulting. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hymn SoCal podcast. This is Paul Butler, your host. Our sound engineer has been Callister Harmon. <laughs>